0: as we've said, we're beginning this new series. We've called it The Church Deployed, this idea that we don't simply gather, we are sent out. We describe it this way as not a cruise ship that we all come to and kind of find which deck we wanna hang out on, but more like an aircraft carrier that God fuels us, we fuel together, and we're sent out. And over these four weeks, we wanna be reengaged, hopefully more deepened in this reality of what it means that you and I are the church deployed. Uh, Before we get into the scriptures, I'll I'll take you back to something that many of us learned growing up. I'm not sure all of us did. If you didn't, don't feel badly. You'll you'll wish you hadn't after I share it with you. We would take our hands like this and we'd say, here is the church and here is the steeple, which we don't even have most anymore. Open it up and see all the people. (laughs) Boy, it was a lot different when no one was here. Say anything back to me. (laughs) I'm very distracted. I was highly focused. It's a funny thing because even though we know the church isn't the building, we operate that way. Many of us, even today, are going, man, we've got to get back into the building together because it's when we're in the church that we are the church. And yet what we're hoping in these four weeks is not only to get a more... I guess, a scriptural understanding, but let it move from our heads to our hearts that we would not keep thinking this way of buildings and even the things we evaluate to say we're church. Is it the music or the people that gather together or the way we teach or what happens in an event? But what's it look like to be the people of God on a mission for God to a world in need? In fact, that's how we would describe, define the church as we go into this series. It's very simple the church is the people of God on a mission from God to a world in need. And so all I hope to do today is awaken us a bit to where the church came from, to where this language even came from, to what our biblical framework, our underpinnings, what was the vision that Jesus had? What did it roll even before the church to the time of Israel? How does that all fit together? in this people of God, on a mission from God to a world in need. So I want to take you back to the first moment the word church is used in the Bible. It's in one of the four accounts of Jesus' life, his death, and his resurrection. We call them the gospels. It simply means the good news. They're the four accounts of what happened while Jesus walked the earth and what happened following when he rose again. So this particular account is in Matthew's Telling of it, and they're in an area in Israel that is really highly paganized. I don't know how to say it other than that. It would be like today if we went to Vegas, and this is where Jesus decided to display and talk about his church. So he's just even encouraged Peter about this specifically, who's been floundering. And this is what Jesus says in Matthew sixteen eighteen. He says, "On this rock, on who I am, I." will build my church. And the gates of Hades will not overcome it. Now, there's much more than us just looking at these simple words, but I want us to consider today a few things that are central to this understanding. The first is very simply this, whose church is it? It's Jesus' church. It's his church, and who builds it? Jesus builds it. In other words, and we'll come back to this, but it's built around the very life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus. Everything the church is, is built around Him. And you and I don't build it. We don't force it. We don't demand it. We depend on Him to become it. I want to say that again because I think it's really important for us. You and I don't force it. We don't build it. We don't demand it. We depend on Him to become it, the people of God on a mission from God to a world in need. Now what I love about this is in this most difficult place that he's in with them, in looking around at all the mess going on, he says not even the gates of hell will overcome it. Now we can look at this in multiple ways. Very simply what he's saying in the, de- the gates of hell is death itself. In other words, Jesus is going to conquer death you and I are the people of him, built around him conquering death itself. What is the one thing none of us can beat? Death. Jesus does it. You want to know how powerful his church is? Death cannot stop it. The devil and all of his, and all of his minions, all of his structure, hierarchical structure of destruction, cannot stop Jesus Church. Tell me how many of us aren't fearful today? How many of us don't think we need power to overcome things? Did you know that no power in no part of the world will ever overcome the church of Jesus Christ? No power, no armies, no military, no culture of cancellation, no news biased, fake or otherwise. No horrors of social media plights will stop him. No difficult and demanding and just devastating racial unrest and horror and suffering will ever overcome his church. Nothing. I mean, if we didn't get anything else but this today, I would hope it would shift our minds and our hearts Think of all the things you are worried about today. Jesus says, nothing's going to overcome my church. I'm going to build it. and You don't even need to worry that you can't build it. I'm going to. You know what it creates in us? Dependence, which I think is our biggest Achilles, by the way. It's been interesting watching us over this COVID. When it first started, many of us just jumped to the church. Man, we need Jesus. What happens when things start to get a little better? Eh, I'm kind of good. Thanks for giving me a little pass for a minute, Jesus. Kind of like my spiritual medication. I got what I needed. I'm feeling better. Back to me. That's not what God wants. He wants a people that are dependent on him completely. And for that, I want to take us back to the history of what does this word church connect to? Because it's not just brought out of nowhere. It very simply means this people that are called out. It's a gathering. It's a unique grouping of people. And I want to take us back to its foundations in the nation of Israel. Now Israel is, in case you don't know, is a country that's born out of one man, well really out of a couple, Abraham and Sarah. They together have a son, he and his bride have a son. There are three of them, and then these three patriarchs, ultimately, the third has 12, and it becomes the nation of Israel, we would say. And we would already say they were the people of God. They live for centuries, they end up going to Egypt through a whole series of events, Over 400 years, they live in slavery and bondage and lose their way. And it's at the end of this time in Exodus chapter 12 that Moses, from God's direction, gives a different word for who Israel is. You see, there are different words in the Hebrew to describe a group of people. And we go to to Exodus 12 to see what happens and why God changes who they are as a people and what it might mean to picture ahead what Jesus will do. So we take it up in Exodus chapter 12. Now at this time, Israel, Moses has gone before Pharaoh. He's given him all these different plagues to remind him that God of Israel is greater than his gods and to let the people of Israel go. And we get to this last one where they are to offer this lamb as a sacrifice and the the Passover, the, the one angel of death will pass over every home and only kill the firstborn of those who have not offered the sacrifice. And this is how Moses describes what God tells him to do. Tell the whole community of Israel that on the 10th day of this month, each man is to take a lamb for his family, one for each household. Now this word, the whole community of Israel, the word edah, it's the first time it's ever used. And the reason it's so significant is that it goes from a word that just means a gathering of people to a word, edah, that means an appointed group, a witnessing community, if you will. There suddenly is purpose and a gathering that binds them together. Something is changing that there's no going back from. And by the way, this word is continually used going forward. So what he's saying is you now are a people that are gonna witness what I am going to do. Not what you've done, not what you're doing in your own strength, but what I can only do because you are stuck in slavery, there's no way out. And here's all they have to do to get out. You take a lamb. You take a lamb and you sacrifice it and you put the the blood on the sides and the tops of the doorposts. There is a sacrifice offered of a lamb that brings you together in a way nothing else could. And the whole story of Israel here is very simple. (laughs) They move from slavery to freedom. They are taken out of a despairing life that there's no way out of to a new life of freedom and of hope. I'm hoping those of you who've been around the church get the parallel to this. It's a physical image of moving from slavery to freedom, but it's a foreshadowing of what another lamb will do to bring us from the slavery of sin to the freedom of new life, from death to resurrection. Now what's interesting is God takes this people and brings them out, ultimately brings them to a place through all this series of time, I'm not gonna go over all of it, to the place of Israel where they have a nation. What's crazy about it is the placement of Israel in the middle of the Middle East, along the water's edge, along east to west, north to south. It is a crossroads for the rest of the world. In other words, God's going to place this people of his in the crossroads of everywhere else where people will go back and forth and be influenced by and discover who he is. That's the intention. It's not for Israel to be a special nation. It's for Israel to be a seasoning that can impact and bless the rest of the world. The people of God on a mission from God to a world in need. They get lost in all of this in so many different ways. One of the most significant is they think it's about them. And Isaiah the prophet gives a statement about this for them to get what it really means to be on mission. The Lord says it's too small a thing for you to be my servant, to restore the tribes of Jacob and bring back those of Israel. By this time, Israel has been scattered into exile, taken over by many countries. He's saying, hey, it's not just bringing you back to be my people. I'm also going to make you a light for the Gentiles, that my salvation may reach the ends of the earth. By the way, that's a people deployed in case you don't get it. Jesus makes this really clear that it's fulfilled in him and it's something even greater when he has his disciples with him on this wonderful little mountain where they've had so many other things come, bowing in worship, and he says these simple words, therefore go, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them everything I've told you. I'll be with you all the way till the end. I'll build my church and the kingdom of hell will not prevail. Two, two simple things I want us to get just as kind of a side note, but really are important for us. That's that Jesus' model is this. He makes disciples who make disciples who make disciples. You and I are the people of God on a mission from God to a world in need, and that happens to becoming disciples, which we're not going to get into all of that today. The other side of this is Jesus' made us dependent on him every step of the way. He builds the church. It's his power that changes us. It's his power that moves among us. And in our self kind of reliance, I think that's really hard for us to understand such an important picture. Let me take you to what happens after Jesus' resurrection, after all that he said, after this is pointed out, after he's ready to build his church. In the book of Acts, he's with his early followers. He's ready to really go back into the presence of the Father, into heaven physically with his newly resurrected body. And he says this in Acts 1, You will receive what? power. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. Be my witnesses. Now, those words, the word for church, the word for community, both give picture to being a witnessing community. In other words, what Jesus is saying is, you will live out the truth of my resurrection in your life. You will discover the power that it is and what it means, and you bear witness not simply by telling, but by living differently. I I wanna be really clear on this because he offers power. I'm curious, I know I can't see your hands at home, but you can just kind of hold them up anyway. Do you want power? If you want power, if you want God's power, just this, just raise your hand. We all like God's power. We love the statement of it too, don't we? What if you and I misunderstood what his power is though? I want you to think about what you and I think of as power. We think of power as overpowering, as being stronger than, as being able to overtake, as demanding what we want. That is not the power of the Holy Spirit. And by the way, when Jesus talks about his power, he's talking about his kingdom. We'll come back to that because it's important we understand that as people of God. But I want us to hear what the Holy Spirit would say to us today, take my power. But are you willing to get a power that doesn't look like what you think it should? It's a crazy thing. You, you do realize the church never demands its way, don't you? The church moves in a different kind of power. That's why when Jesus is before these leaders of Rome, when they're deciding whether or not to crucify him, and they tell him, we got power. And Jesus says, listen, I could call a thousand angels to come and take you out. But my kingdom is different than this. The power doesn't look the same. I'm just concerned that we are looking for the wrong power in the wrong places. Man, I just... I think God wants to awaken us to his church looking different, witnessing differently, and having a different kind of power than we ever realized was available to us. What happens and follows here is the next chapter, all these believers are together. All these, actually they're Jewish followers of Jesus, and simply the Jews are there for a feast in Israel. And it says these disciples of Jesus are filled uniquely with the Holy Spirit. They're actually tongues of fire, and they begin to speak in the languages of all the people there. These Jews that have gathered from all over the world, they speak in the language they each understand, and the people speaking it don't know it. Now, come on. Is that not crazy? I can't even learn a language. I speak my own language wrong. There's times I say things, and I'm like, was that even a word? I don't think that sentence worked that is the power of God. What I love about it are the pictures we get. It tells us tongues of fire fall on all of them. 3,000 are added to their number. It's the day the church explodes becoming a greater people of God. But guess what happens from there? They go back to where they lived. They are deployed all over the world. Come on. Church isn't meant to be a place that gathers. It's meant to be a place that fuels and deploys in the power of God, in a power where you and I is foreign to us because let's be honest, if God said, I'll let you use power the way you want to, wouldn't you use it differently? I would. Some of you might be in trouble if you ever crossed me. I probably, I'm sure I'd be in trouble from all of you, so what's new? I want to take this to where it goes. After all this happens, and kind of what builds up to it all is this simple statement. Now, Peter goes all through the history of Israel. He talks and brings what's happened in the past, the way they went after him, the way they went after Jesus and killed him, but the way he rose again. And he says this really simple statement, God has raised Jesus to life, and we are all what? Witnesses of it. (laughs) They don't mean we watched it. They mean we live it. The church isn't meant to be witnesses like, hey, let me explain to you what this means. We're witnesses in that, hey, let me tell you about how this power works in my life. The church are the people of God on a mission from God to a world in need. And what centers us, nothing else does. This is what centers us. It's very simple. Jesus' life, Jesus' death, and Jesus' resurrection. I love it in Colossians 1. When Paul writes to this church, Paul, who was after killing the church, now becomes a champion, he says, Jesus is the head of the body of the church. He's the beginning from the first fruits among the dead. In other words, he's the first sign of resurrection, and then everything else he has supremacy in. Now, I'm not saying nothing else matters, but I'm saying everything has to be seen through the lens of the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus. You wonder what you believe and why you do. You have to ask, how does this connect to the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus? What does it mean that his kingdom comes? Because that's what his resurrection means. His rule and reign begin to take shape on a world that's broken and in need. And make no mistake, his power is different. It doesn't take shape out of demand and out of overpowering everyone else. It invites, it moves, it moves. And it brings places of hope where there's hopelessness. It's a different kind of power. I think of the miracles that were done all throughout Jesus' life, death and resurrection, and then in the early church. One of my favorite stories is when this man who's been really in physical despair his whole life, he's in his 30s or 40s, and he's begging for money, and Peter And a friend walk up and Peter says, I don't have any silver and gold, but man, what I do have is the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Get up. That man is given hope out of despair. It's interesting. Whenever I hear that story, I remember a story of one of the saints. Centuries later, when the church had grown in great power and magnitude financially and even in governing. And the Pope brought this one, priestly saint in and said, I want you to see, man, no longer do we not have to say silver and gold, do I not have? And this wonderful saint looked and said, I know, but no longer do we say get up and walk. I think we've substituted the wrong power and we somehow think we need it and it's greater and we are dead wrong. It's hard because I find myself frustrated at times and perhaps looking out at everyone else and not even considering how much I still get stuck in this. And I just want it to be an appeal, like, man, let's let go of the things we think matter. Let's just say, if it's not about Jesus and his life and death and resurrection, if it's not about a different kind of power, if it's not about you and I saying we want to be people of his kingdom, on his mission to a world in need, man, we got to let go of those other things. I am not interested in saying, look at what we have. I am interested in us saying... I don't have that stuff but get up and walk. I don't think that comes unless we're dependent, desperately dependent on him. I think we get that from here. I wanna take you a little further into this because now through Acts we're gonna hear about the church, the church, the church, the church. I wanna take you to Acts chapter eight because it gets to a place where I think today we would reckon because we fear the church losing its place in our society and culture. Let me take you to Acts chapter 8. This is after Stephen has been stoned. Saul, who becomes Paul, has watched it. Stephen is one of the early disciples. He's stoned because he basically told all these Jews, listen, Jesus lived, died, and rose again. You guys missed it, and it's not a good thing. It's not exactly the way he said it, but you got the idea. Saul watches, and it's part of them killing him. And it says this, Saul began to destroy the church the people of God on a mission from God to a world of need. He went from house to house. He dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. Now, wouldn't that freak you out? Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. (laughs) It's one of my favorite things about the book of Acts. What people do to try to take the church down grows it. That's amazing. You realize that, don't you? Think of how we fear the church losing its place in culture. Should we fear that? I, I, I know that most of you are at home, but I do have some people here. <laughs> you should say it at home. Should we fear that? Yeah. Not at all. In fact, guess what? What if the church would move more in power if we weren't loved and welcomed by the society and culture? What if that's our best play? You willing to quit fighting the wrong fight? I'm concerned we're not. I'm concerned we're looking at the wrong thing. I want you to see what goes on from here. The Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. (laughs) Come on. Where else do you see that in the most duress, the best things happen? Is that not awesome? Does that not sound like Jesus? Jesus? The God who came in poverty with no prestige and no power, didn't live in Rome, but lived in Galilee, wasn't even as the tribes go, and considered in a high tribe, changed the world with 12 people, was killed, and even one of them betrayed him. That is not a great track record. After his resurrection, people go after him to try to get rid of the church, and they grow. (laughs) Come on, isn't that awesome? They grow through the Roman world, the most powerful place on the planet in that time in history. They don't use a weapon. They have no influence. They don't change anything around them other than the people of God live differently because they're people of the kingdom, not people of the culture. And they go on a mission from God to a world in need. But I'm telling you, they lay it all aside. Everything, I don't care what else it is, this is all I want. I want you just to consider this with me, maybe a picture to help us. Uh, I've had the joy, I get to travel a fair amount uh, in my role because of the global things that we've had going on over the years. And so many of you have this, you know, you get a passport and you go from country to country and they stamp them and you come back. And when you get back, you go, I'm home. You walk in and you go, man, this is my home. I'm part of this. I'm a citizen of here. Where is your greatest citizenship? Because guess what? That passport is not the one that matters. In fact, we need to set that one aside. You and I, were people of the kingdom. We're people of the kingdom. And I don't know what the passport is you would hold. I don't know if you think it's being American, I don't know if you think it's being comfortable, I don't know if you think it's being casual, I don't know if you think it's being, we could fill in any blank you have that you're saying, I have to be this too. That gets set aside. We live in the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus. People of the kingdom. I wish I could give all of you a passport that said, hey, this is your home. It's the kingdom of God. Here's what happens when we become people of the kingdom. We can actually look at all the things around us and not be taken in by all of them. We can differentiate better from some of the things we attach to that are not part of his kingdom, but part of an amalgamation. Yes, an amalgamation. Can you say that? Can you say amalgamation? I like the way you say that. Amalgamation, it means to take things together and put them all in one place. Mm -hmm. Don't do that. Stop it. You and I were people of the kingdom. What if when we're getting to an issue we struggle with, instead of asking or kind of telling ourselves it right, we say, how does this relate to the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus? What does his kingdom look like in this issue? Instead of what does a power or a way I can force what I want on people around me? The Lord's hand was with them. I think the Lord's hand was with them because they were just desperately dependent. There was no other way it was going to change. It's really simple. We give ourselves to him, to each other, to his call to be a new kind of community, bring a new kind of kingdom with a new kind of power through a new kind of community. It's so much more than we let it be. I want you to be reminded of what the church is and who the church is. I'm just so concerned that we've gotten lost in how we see church, how we see each other, how we don't center ourselves on the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, but we add all these other things to it that also need to be true. I, I said it at the beginning and it's really simple. The church is the people of God on a mission from God to a world in need. In the next three weeks, we're gonna look at these very three facets. What does it mean to be the people of God on a mission from God to a world in need? You know, as I prepared for this, uh, I thought of the things that keep us from it. You know, That's one of my challenges or any of us who teach is, it's nice to give you information, but what's the challenge you're facing that keeps you You hear the call of God, be the people of God on a mission from God to the world in need. What's the challenge for you? I think for some of us, it's a challenge of comfort. Church has become an event we attend like so many other things, with the people we enjoy like so many other people. But it's optional and it's when it works for us. It is centered around us. But the church is centered around the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit to be the people of God on a mission from God to a world in need? What if in our casualness, and our comfort, we said, God, I know I'm being challenged. I wanna let go of this and let it all be about you. Then I know for some of us, we've attached other powers to the church. We have all sorts of things we attach. The church is supposed to think and feel and believe and act on and not act on, because it doesn't fit these other constructs that we are power-based and we must have. Boy, it's everything from fighting that the nation has to be this way to our community has to be this way to the things we can talk about and can't. And I just want to tell you, I don't care. Man, we are not going to be hostage to these added things when we're going to teach what Jesus' kingdom is about. We gotta let go of the things we've added on. I'm telling you, it's the source of so much of our strife and hate. Here's the beautiful thing. Do you know what the answer to COVID is? The church. <laughs> I don't mean we're gonna heal everybody. I mean we're the people that are gonna rise up and love people in it. The church moves towards and in love. What's the answer to all of our political unrest? The church. We are not gonna convince everybody what to think or vote or say or do. I don't even convince, I think if I got one household together, it wouldn't work, to be honest. Sometimes I talk to one person, I don't even think they can settle it in their own mind. It'll never happen there, ever. Stop. The answer is the church because we're a different kind of community in a different kind of way with a different kind of love and a different kind of power and a different mission. We don't need what's being offered, what's the answer to all of this racial breakdown, all of this strife and suffering, all of this conflict, all of this acting out, it is the church. And make no mistake, we don't know what to do. (laughs) All we know to do is go, Jesus, help us move towards and love and answer and call and bring a different kind of kingdom. And we are looking in the wrong place for the wrong answer at the wrong time. God's power is different. God's way is different. And his kingdom is definitely different. You and I were people of the kingdom. You and I hold the same passport. You know that? That's the one I want us to share. People have gotten a mission from God to a world in need. Here's the hard part for me is I don't think my saying it will change it. In fact, I know it won't. All I know to do is pray that you and I would let go of all these other things and hold on just to him. Let go of all the things we fear we might lose because maybe losing them is the very place that will bring the church to be who we're supposed to be, by the way. I am so concerned that we're afraid of losing power and it's the wrong kind of power. We're so afraid of disagreeing. And guess what? It is not about agreeing. It's about loving each other even when we don't. That's a different kind of community. It's about a mission that doesn't force itself but loves its way into people's lives and communities and hearts. People have gotten a mission of, from God to a world in need. Man, I need you and want you to keep joining us in these three weeks ahead that we'll get a fuller picture of what that looks like. Let me pray for us. Lord, I ask, I just cry out that you'd help us become the people of God you want us to be. God, I pray for me and for all of us that we would let go of these other things. That God, we would not be so casual about it either. God, that there would be a unbridled passion to move as your people. God, would you even reveal to us the passports we have that are people of the kingdom? and let go of these other ones. Let's say it must be this too, or this is the way to it. God, would you help us to let go of the way we think it should go? And trust you for the way that you know it should go? We just confess we can't be your church unless you help us. Holy Spirit, we need you. And we say fill us, lead us, break us, change us, And move in us together, not me individually. I ask this in your name and power. Amen.